Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and this is the show that digs into some of the awesome games that Warlord Games puts out for us to play. Joining me today is one of my absolute favorite guests on the show. He's been on many times before. He is the author of some of my favorite bolt action books. We're talking about the armies of the Soviet Union. We're talking about uh, empires and flames. He is also behind a lot of the mechanics and the rules for the awesome 2000 AD games. But of course, his true love involves flying around in the sky, or at least in his mind. And that, of course, brings us to the overfiend himself. Andy Chambers, welcome back to the Warlord Games podcast. Hi there, Brad. Thank you for that warm welcome. Always a pleasure to have you, sir. How are things? Uh, very good. You know, England moves gradually and reluctantly into spring, as ever. So we get well, rained on and frozen, alternately with being boiled alive. <laughs> well, Australia is slowly slipping into winter. It is uh, shockingly cold in Melbourne today, but uh, it's good to know that opposite sides of the planet are still conveniently opposite. Now, I did hint that you are a big fan of World War II avionics, fighter planes, uh, just general air warfare. You've been on before, of course, as the author of Blood Red Skies. But today we are going to talk about a new expansion to the game that goes beyond one man's pen, so to speak. In fact, it is a really exciting idea that I really love the sound of and uh, harkens back to the days of old. Can you tell us about the Blood Red Skies Wing Commander Compendium? Uh, back in the day, back when dinosaurs ruled the Earth, uh, me and Paul used to work at Games Workshop together. Uh, he ran White Dwarf, I ran the 40K team. And a lot of my time uh, running 40K was, was dedicated to making sure there was plentiful content for White Dwarf. But we hit this thing where there, there was all sorts of stuff in there. You know, there'd be FAQs and battle reports and speculative stuff about how to put your army together in an extra army lesson, things like this. But after the, the White Dwarf magazine, this is a print magazine we're talking about, had come out and gone, it, it was kind of off the shelves and you couldn't get hold of it. So what we hit on was this idea of doing a, a regular kind of compendium or compilation. We had various different ones over the years uh, of the best of the White Dwarf's content through the year and put that out as a book because then it was available to people over a longer period of time. And not so long ago, I was I was viewing with great delight. And Blood Red Skies has developed a, a great community that, that writes their own scenarios and campaigns and all this sort of stuff. And this, I was worried about the same thing. This is great content, and then it, it ends up, you know, off in the files section somewhere. Of uh, a lot of this comes from the, the Ready Room on Facebook and mm -hmm. uh, the Leap Suit podcast. So if you don't know it's already there, you don't know to go looking for it or where to find it. Uh, so it was this, it was the same situation as with those old White Dwarf articles. And I thought, why don't we have a compendium? Put all the good stuff together into a book and put that book out there for the ages. Uh, and that's what the Wing Commander compendium is. I mean, Wing Commander actually derives from the name. I was originally going to do like sets of different campaign rules, one called Squadron Leader, one called Wing Commander. I never got around to doing the Wing Commander thing. I did make some notes that I put up and... God bless them, people ran off and turned it into an entire campaign off their own bat. So that's in there. Uh, that's uh, Steve Toth and Brett Cantu who kind of really kicked the whole thing off because they, they wrote literally an entire book 
off their own backs for their own campaign, for their own entertainment, which is the best way to ever write a book. And I got a hold of that, and it was like, well, it would be nice if we could publish this somewhere, and again, not have that problem of just vanishing into a file section. So that that's a, a big chunk of the book. But there's a ton of other stuff that I've seen over the last few years, Blood Red Skies as well, that I wanted to pull up, where I've just sort of like read something, somebody written up and gone like, you know what, that's really good. That's really sensible, or that's a great scenario, or that's just good advice. So um, I kind of I went to each contributor and, and ask them very kindly if they would freely give me their hard work and good ideas and they have so and that's where we're up to um and it's quite a chonker of a book like i say very campaign oriented for the most part yeah you sent me a list of the contents of the book just the general sections and a brief description of each and i have to say your uh your creativity in writing is amazing. Of course, I'm leaning into uh, what you're talking about a second ago is Air Medals and Iron Crosses by Steve Toth and uh, Brett Cantor. And uh, the beast that got this all started, uh, virtually a book all of its own, full-blown campaign system with progression, events, characters, and more personality than a bucket full of otters. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, of course, that is just one of a huge list of contributions to this book as you say there are a lot and i have to say as someone who's just looking at the titles of the sections and a brief description of each this looks like a truly epic tome that really does add so much for blood red sky players like i say it's very genuinely sourced of like these are things that people thought were interesting enough to like write up their own articles uh, about uh, and what's more you know, they've been played through uh, a lot of times and it, the, the biggest shame about doing this campaign was actually you know I had to at the end of the day limit how much uh, content we could put into it but it is jam-packed with the very very best of what I could find uh, and my apologies to people who didn't get their stuff make it in there but uh, next time around maybe hope, I'm hoping we can do another one in the future so yeah and it's it's I say it's mainly campaign order, but it's reasonably wide-ranging. This stuff in there, uh, there was an excellent tactics article, for example, that Dan Dion, was Dan Dion, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Wrote um, just randomly, like up on the ready room, and I was like, that's brilliant. This is exactly what players new to Blood Red Skies need to read. So that's in there. There's um, some stuff Roger Gerrish and uh, Doug Glover did with, with taking the MIG Alley, uh, Korean War stuff with jets and actually pushing that a bit further, getting into guided missiles for the first time, um, which is tremendous. And they've done a bunch of scenarios based around that as well. A lot of India-Pakistan war stuff as that's uh, when you first start getting missile combat starting to come through. So that that's like a whole extra thing. I don't know if I would ever have touched on that, but because they love it and they're really passionate about it, it's super well-researched, the marvellous historical scenarios I've never even heard of. So and this, this is the kind of thing you get from casting it at wider, uh, rather than just being, you know, Andy chiseling away, desperately reading Wikipedia articles. You've got people who are genuinely passionate about these things and have been for decades and have this massive tribal knowledge going on uh, when it comes to these particular subjects. So... Yeah, I'm really, really pleased with it. It was an absolute mare to put it together, I must admit, because, as you imagine, it's like a bit like herding cats. Uh, everybody coming in with their own different formats and 
exciting differences in spelling and all that sort of stuff. But for me, the the that was kind of like the the entire job of it was just editing it and being like, what does that mean? In a few places, but um, I don't know how to summarize it really, apart from this marvelous smorgasbord of of extra material. Now, I do want to touch on a couple of the sections, chapters, whatever you would like to refer to it as. Uh, a name who I, a friend who name I couldn't help but notice attached to several of these sections of the book is, of course, our friend Douglas Glover over from the Lead Pursuit podcast. Hey, Doug. And I can't help but notice since, of course, COVID lockdowns the world over, it seems like solo gaming has hit a new renaissance. So many games either are solo to start with or have had solo mechanics created for the wargamer that is either too busy or unable to meet with those people around them. This, I think, is a great add to the game. And Doug uh, has put together some solo enemy flowcharts that allow you to play some simple but uh, you know surprisingly dangerous games of Blood Red Skies by yourself. Yeah, it's... It's always a useful thing to have to be able to automate your opponents to a certain extent so that you, you can play solo, whether it's, you know, as you say, because you can't get a hold of an opponent or they've let you down or just because you want to practice a little bit uh, in an environment where you're not actually up against the clock or what have you, then it has its uses. And it was something we talked about quite early on in Blood Red Skies. Um, a lot of people who first get the game, you know, they'd like to push around a few models without you know, before they have to try and show the game to somebody else. So it's a useful thing to have. And, um, yeah, Doug put together a nice little flow chart for it. And, you know, it's not a human opponent, but it does a good enough job of making them aggressive enough um, and putting you in danger that you have to, like, actively fight against it. So that that's a nice little addition. That's tremendously short. I mean, that's like a page, but it's a really useful page to have. Mm -hmm. so it's just another tool in the box. Well, another section whose name I think may be my favorite in the book, in a list of names that I do quite enjoy, um, we have Flat Tops in a Bathtub uh, by Ken Nat. Can you talk to us? It's a short, uh, quick play campaign system, but it's got a really interesting twist. Flat Tops, as in carriers. Um, yes, so it's, it's a short campaign that Ken wrote about basically two opposing carriers um, on like a 24-hour day clock trying to launch airstrikes, well, trying to find each other and then launch airstrikes against each other and managing uh, what aircraft they've got up on deck, which ones are rearming and all that goodness. Uh, and it's supposed to play out over the course of one day. It can go to two. Uh, but So it's literally hour by hour of, like, you know, what decisions were you sending your search aircraft to? And the, the inner bathtub is it's in a limited area. It's within um, a grid which is what you're searching for, at least to try and find where the opposing carrier force is. But of course, once you launch, if you do find the opposing carrier and launch a, a strike against it, then they, they get to follow you back and they, they can more easily find where you are and all this sort of thing. So it's a resource management short campaign, uh, unlike uh, Brett and Steve's campaign, which is intended to be like a whole chunk of chunk of time, months, potentially. It's literally one day. Um, so I thought that was really a really nice, nice contrast of like different ways of doing campaign games. One of which is a great sprawling, goes over weeks and weeks sort of thing. But one is just like a very intense period of time because they both count. 
you know, the number of fighters you get coming back, more attack aircraft, more importantly, in flat tops is uh, a major concern as your, as your day draws on, basically. Like, we don't have enough men left. Yeah. Well, it's not the only naval-themed scenario in that book. We also have the sinking of the PA. Yeah. yeah, I never know how to pronounce that either. Um, Dan Dion did a marvelous little... In many ways, that, that the the sink the high, I'm going to say it that way, is an example of him using what the what we call the scenario toolkit to put together a, a historical scenario of like it's just after Guadalcanal, I think it is, where um, Japanese warships been damaged already. And it's basically being chased down by uh, attack aircraft coming off Guadalcanal and trying to be protected at the same time by Japanese aircraft. So it's an interesting little historical engagement and Dan's done a, a lot of extra rules that you can use to um, do those kind of things, to do historical engagements uh, and to put a little bit more uncertainty into the game. There's a lot of stuff about spotting and things like that, and the, which he's, he's utilised to put together that scenario. Uh, and it's a really interesting fight overall. And whereas the, the ones that we always put into... Um, airstrike and things like that perforce they have to be reasonably generic so you can use different forces for them this one's very very specific and it's uh, it's nice to see something like that it is and not only is it an interesting scenario to play out but as you say it gives people the idea of how they could do something like that their own which is always great and you know just lets people explore the the battles in the air that they happen to be passionate about that may not appear in a book already mm. Yeah, I mean, one of my regrets is uh, doing historical scenarios is something, again, we could have filled an entire book with those. Mm. Um, and in some ways, you know, that might have been a better use of some of our pages to do more historical scenarios. But I felt like either that's a separate subject or those can go on a website somewhere or something like that. If you're going to have a book, uh, it's better to have the tools to learn how to make those kind of things than to just show examples of them. Um, I'd say very specific examples which may or may not be the one that you're looking for. Just looking at this book, this looks like a, an excellent addition to the game. It's taking the beta rules from a lot of uh, what players have put together uh, in the Ready Room Facebook group and taking all of the beta aircraft lists, um, or at least many of them, and including them in here, which really gives you the opportunity to expand the forces that you are putting on the tabletop. Ah, yes, of course, the uh, the Red Room. Yeah, it's, we've been working away on those lists ever since Bloodbird Skies launched, in effect, because, you know, it launched with a certain number of aircraft, but we already needed to figure out what other aircraft would it be like for the future and just to know. So there was always a bigger, a bigger list than had been launched in terms of models. Uh, but over time, more and more people have sort of, like, come along and going, like, oh, can you do the D version of that? Uh, and, and what about the tropical version? And uh, what about this Hungarian aircraft? And so on and so forth. So the list has grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown, and grown to the point now where it's massive and includes, I'm not going to say every World War II aircraft because that would be a foolish thing to say because it doesn't, but the vast bulk of them that fought are actually on there somewhere. Uh, and that seemed like a tremendous resource to put out there into the world. You know, because we, we can put out squadron boxes and put a data card in each box for the particular plane that's in there. But being able to have a huge overview and the different variants and things like that 
massive resource and heavily researched as well, it must be said. But it also gives you the opportunity to take the planes that you already have, that you've already painted up, you've already collected, and it gives you new ways to play with those. Because as you say, there's different variants, and often those variants look very similar. So once you shrink things down enough and you put it on the tabletop, it really does expand the way that you can play the game. And it can match those scenarios that we were talking about earlier that you could be creating to play some of your favorite battles in the sky. Absolutely, 100%. Um, of course, the, the true aeronautical enthusiast would be horrified by the prospect that a Spitfire Mark Seven can't be told from a Spitfire Mark Nine, merely by looking at the shape of the canopy and so forth, or the number of rivets along the leading edge of the wing. However, for the majority of us grockles out here, Spitfire is pretty much a Spitfire. Um, and that applies in a lot of cases because, yeah, most aeronautical development in World War II, a lot of it came from new engines, new guns, rather than entirely new airframes. What they tended to do was take the airframes that they knew worked and put new engines and guns into them to improve them rather than start from scratch, with a, a few notable exceptions. Um, so, yeah, even things like, I was going to say, the notable exception being the Mustang, which was designed in less than a year. But even that, you know, there's, there's the Mustang B, um, which was the earlier version, which, which kind of did okay, uh, but wasn't the, the really famous P-51D, which came along later. And they look quite distinct from each other, and their stat lines are distinct as well, but they're, they're still absolutely, with one 200 scale models, you could play one as the other, and you'd be hard put to tell the difference uh, from a distance on the tabletop. So there's a lot of places like that. And plus people just like to collect different variants. And there's a lot of fun to be had just sort of seeing the, the progression for me anyway, I should say. There's a lot of fun for me to be had looking at the progression of things as, as uh, in terms of rules and where their stats go as they get improved upon over the course of the war. It, it just reminds me of another Warlord game where we have several nautical games for World War II where in those games you have ships that in many cases remain consistent throughout the war but are upgraded again and again and again and again as technology improves over the course of the war. Obviously, they don't have time to rebuild battleships or even smaller ships. Um, they'll just continually upgrade them as, they, as the technology adapts so they can field the most effective things. The, I guess the airplanes were a little bit more disposable. However, um, they did take the things that worked and they just kept innovating and innovating. And as you say, at one 200 scale, you could probably get away with it if folks aren't pulling out a magnifying glass. Um, it, but it just means that, you know, for someone like me, I'm going to end up buying three or four of the same plane and painting them in different colors to suit different battles. So, yeah. And I like to think it's, it's just plain old educational as well of like oh wow check it out they were flying these things right up to 1944 just with progressive engine upgrades and things like that yeah exactly right something that i uh, know very little about compared to uh the listeners who enjoy blood red skies probably but i'm sure i could talk tanks clearly this is coming out soon um it hasn't quite hit our stores yet but Oh, what, is there anything else that you would like the Blood Red Sky enthusiasts to know about this excellent collection of articles? Clearly, we haven't talked about all of the contents of the book, but there is a lot in there. Um, yeah, well, I, th I think the biggest thing for, for people who like Blood Red Skies is 
if you've already purchased airstrike um you know i like to have a fairly sprawling rule book that covers a lot of different things mm -hmm. Th this is like so much thicker than airstrike uh there's so much more going on in there so i i would advocate purchasing it um i'm hoping this will sort of like forge a path for us forward into the future that we can do more books of you know player motivated content in the future um because this i say this kind of thing is being produced anyway and it's a shame to to let it go if i'm honest so buy my book buy actually all of these marvelous players book and um, let us know that you want more of these things because then we'll make more of them in the future well, Andy, as always, thank you so much for joining us today. It is always a pleasure to have you on and to talk shop. And this book sounds really exciting. And I can't wait for Blood Red Sky players to get it in their grubby little paws uh, and play some awesome games with it. I appreciate that this probably wasn't the easiest thing to pull together, as you say, herding cats with that many authors. But uh, it, it sounds like a labor of love that's going to be really enjoyed by the community. I really hope so. I really hope so. Thank, thanks for giving me the chance to come on and talk about it today. Uh, I do hope it goes down well. And I, I want to say thanks to everyone who contributes to the uh, Wing Commander Compendium. You know, literally couldn't have done it without you guys. So more credit to them. And good to see their name in print overall. And it does really emphasize the strength of the Blood Red Skies community, both online and in person. We've talked about that on this show many times before. But uh, where can people find this amazing community online, Andy? Uh, well, two places. Uh, there's the Lead Pursuit podcast, uh, mainly American-based, and uh, Douglas Glover, and the Blood Red Skies Ready Room, uh, which Ken Nat runs on Facebook. Yes, we're old people, so it's on Facebook. Uh, they're, they're both positively thriving. And anybody who's new to the game, I, I seriously advocate going to one or both of those places. Uh, and you'll find people who can answer your initial questions of like, Andy writes terrible rules. I can make no sense of this and all the rest of it. They're, they're, they'll be there to help you through those difficult early times. Andy, you know you don't write terrible rules. I've known you long enough to hear that. But... As someone who is a member of that group, I have to say I have seen so many people, uh, either longtime players who haven't engaged with the online community who have joined up or new players who have gone to the page and they are immediate. I mean, so many people have said, oh, thank you for all the help um, that you guys gave me when I was starting up. It is such a welcoming uh, and warm community. It's wonderful to see. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And. Um Seriously, guys, um, one of the great delights of doing Blood Red Skies has been the community it's generated over these years, which is why we're still doing it, really. So, exactly. God bless you. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to the Warlord Games official podcast. If you have any feedback for the show, please go to the podcast network that this show uh, appears as part of. That is the Cast Dice, C A S T D I C E. Uh, podcast network if you go to the facebook page for that and you message the page you are guaranteed a response by me hi um and this episode actually was requested by several people uh and so if you would like to hear something particular on this show and i've had an, an excellent request recently for bolt action i'm hoping to bring that to this show shortly until next time stay safe out there <laughs>